In the past two episodes, you've heard 17 audition stories from former guests of this podcast. I truly love compiling those short stories together to illustrate the varying experiences we all have in the audition room as well as on self-tapes. But it's also good to do a deeper dive into the audition process and really examine the ways that we help and hinder our own auditions. Today's guest is Darren Darnborough, a British actor, director, and producer who now lives in Los Angeles and is the CEO and co-founder of We Audition. He understands the sometimes random nature of auditioning, but reminds us that there are still things we can do to make them as good as possible. You go on 40 auditions and get none of them, and then you can go on three more and get all three of them. Mm -hmm. You will be absolutely confused at why that happened. You know, it's not because you sat down the day before and did eight hours of work on your acting. It just doesn't balance out in that way. Hello and welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and each week I explore the realities of what it really means to make it in the performing arts. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can sign up for the monthly Win Me newsletter and learn about special bonus episodes available only to podcast supporters. Get all that and more at whyillnevermakeit.com or click on the link in the show notes. Whether from personal experience or hearing stories on this podcast, you know that almost anything can happen in the audition room. Sometimes it's magical moments, while other times are filled with frustration. Yet, even still, the most perfect audition doesn't always lead to a callback or a contract. It is this uncertainty that can bring both excitement and dismay. Not to mention the fact that auditioning for the stage is slightly different from auditioning for the screen. And with me today to discuss these differences is television and film actor Darren Darnborough. He grew up in London and started to work as a professional actor around the age of 16. He earned a degree in film and media from the University of London, but has also been very entrepreneurial throughout his career. In 2002, for example, he co-created StuckForStaff.com, the world's first online marketplace for promotional staffing. But in 2006, he decided to relocate to Los Angeles to focus on his acting career and has appeared on shows like MacGyver, Two Broke Girls, and True Blood. He was even writer and director of his own film, called Stefano Formaggio, which is available on Amazon Prime. Now, I first met and got to know Darren when he reached out to me as the CEO of WeAudition.com back in January of this year. He is someone who is truly dedicated and motivated to helping all actors get better at their craft and reach even greater heights in their career. And I am very proud and grateful that he's become a big fan of this podcast. You'll certainly be hearing about more collaborations together in the future. But for today, I sit down with Darren to talk about his own journey as an actor, the wonderful opportunities he's been given, as well as the hard lessons learned along the way. He reveals a lot during our conversation and gave me new perspective not only on auditioning, but also the art and business of being an actor as well. Welcome, Darren, to the podcast. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a few months since we last connected with each other, so I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to actually be interviewed this time. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Now, I use the word multi-hyphenate a lot to describe myself and many of the guests I have on the podcast. You yourself are certainly one of those. Now, do you think this idea of kind of stretching ourselves into these various creative and professional outlets that we do do you see that as mostly born out of necessity or do you see it as a way to kind of uh, scratch that creative itch that we get? You know, it's really interesting because I used to worry about those things a lot. Um, and, you know, we've been taught by other people's opinions uh, throughout our life that sometimes doing too many things, you know, he who chases two rabbits catches neither, those kind of things. Right, the jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. Master yeah. of none, all of that. My, my production company is actually called Jackmaster for that reason. Um, <laughs> but 
I prefer to think jack of all trades, master of some, because I've always been inspired by the people that do a lot of things. You know, one of my my childhood heroes was Richard Branson. And I used to look up to that guy and think, well, if you can run record labels and airlines and, you know, all these other things that you do, charities, why is it a bad thing? And I, I really sort of appreciate the application of knowledge and ideas and innovation to sort of cross-pollinate industries. And I've always been that way. Um, I think certainly if you start a career when you're young as an actor or in any kind of entertainment business, it's a, it's a tough career. So you do look for other ways to um, make money or like, you know, support yourselves, things like that. And then a lot of that might be from sort of family pressure, you know, parents or, or friends telling you the story which is often true that you know it's a it's a wild idea and lots of people don't make it and whatever things like that um and of course there's some reality and truth in those things but it's also quite limiting okay and so i think a lot of us that if we're not born into a, an environment where we do feel like it's plain sailing for a career in the arts you will have to do some other kind of thing. And that might be picking up a side job or that might be a whole different career. And I, I know certainly for me, I don't come from a wealthy background. I don't come from, from people in the arts. So for me, I always, uh, you know, balance that desire to be uh, an actor with the need to make regular income. Luckily for me, I started working professionally around 16. So I started making good money as an actor but at no point in my life have I ever not done something else at the same time, because even when I make better money as an actor, I still have aspirations for a better lifestyle than that. But then as I've gotten into my you know, more mature years, I realized that I really enjoy the other things that I do. I enjoy, as I said, cross-pollinating industries with innovation and you can only do that by being part of two things you know and using ideas from this to benefit that uh, my previous business um it was an online business not not dissimilar to the one i run now which was, is a marketplace idea and it was helping other actors and performers get promotional modeling work mm -hmm. which is what a lot of a lot of people do in their downtime but at the same time, if it wasn't for me being an actor, I would never have seen the need to create a company that provides last minute work to performer based people. So yeah. you can't do one without the other. Yeah, because we're in such a creative field. Yes, this work over here as an actor and in theater, film, whatever we're doing, will generate other ideas in other in other avenues. So, so what do you yeah. think that line is between exercising those creative muscles through various work opportunities? And then stretching ourselves so thin that we can't then focus or concentrate on maybe the one thing that we love most. Like we aren't as good an actor as we would hope to be. It, it absolutely can, I think. And it's very important to keep that measured. You know, if on the flip side of what I just said, there's people out there that do just focus on one one thing and they love it. And I think their personalities are are suitable for that and they do very very well because of that and i can give you a, a bunch of examples of personal friends of mine that are excellent actors and they excel in their career and they're doing amazing things okay and they they are hyper focused on acting and always have however i know personally that they are you know they they have issues with themselves because they haven't been in a in a, a a good relationship in their life or they haven't traveled to the places they wanted to travel um or they they like feel a lacking of something because they were so dedicated and they still are to their 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 one career so i think it does come at cost and equally if you do too many things it comes at a cost because we all only have the same amount of time so for me the way i've managed that over the years is is to be able to um give myself the freedom to focus on what's necessary at that time. Um, so to give you an example, when I have an important audition, that's what I do. I run a company, but I put the company down for that day and I, I do the audition. And when I finish the audition, I forget about it and get back to working on my company or socializing, whatever else I'm doing with my day. Um, and that's been tough for me to, to learn that and manage that. I've There's probably been times when, I mean, I can remember times when I was, preoccupied with something else and and did badly on an audition or not as good as I could have done because I was preoccupied with too many things mm -hmm. but I think the comfortability of experience and you know finance and just 
having done it before, you start to realize when these moments are and, and you can manage them better. Yeah, I know that I find for myself, like especially during the pandemic, I just threw myself into podcasting because there wasn't much of anything else as far as acting wise. And I know for myself, time management became a thing. And uh, often I was, it was 11 o'clock at night, I was still working on it. Or as soon as I got up, I was like thinking about something. I was on my phone creating this or kind of working on that. Do you find that that happens with yourself as well, that it's hard to put those boundaries on your time? Yes and no. I've gotten much better with it. I'm in a place where I don't, I used to feel the pressure. I used to feel like I never had enough time. I'm always exhausted. I was working such long hours. Um, this was especially in England where the weather can be often quite bad and your friends don't always live around the corner from you. So I could throw myself into those marathons of work, which I felt were essential to build my company on my career, whether it was the acting or the business stuff. Um, and then just working hard on, you know, regular in-between jobs as well, just doing the hours. Um, I now feel like I am able to, I don't want to say work smarter, not harder, because that doesn't, that, that's such a cliche, but there, there are things that you need to do. There's things that you don't need to do. And there's things you can do very quickly if you realize what you need to do and do it with the right amount of experience, intelligence, research, all of those things. There's just tasks that you can do quicker if you understand what needs to be done. You can focus and you can plan for it. And then there's things that you can do, which I call faff, or like a lot of British people call it faffing, where you're just aimlessly busying yourself. And to be honest, I see a lot of busy work in the acting community. A lot of people busy themselves um, and they think they're being productive but what they're actually achieving in that time could be done in smaller, smaller moments. And, um, and also it's a matter of, of figuring out what the purpose is. Like, like, okay, what is the ultimate goal of this? And if it just kind of leads to more busy work, then maybe that should give you a clue, oh, I could direct my energies elsewhere. Right. And I think it's really important to, to realize where you could direct your energy. Like, like I say, I, I really think I put a lot of value on travel, on social on human interaction, on reading different industries. You know, I read a lot of psychology. Um, and sometimes people will say to me, well, if you're interested in that, why, why haven't you gone into that as a career or whatever? I said, it's important for acting. Because if, we, if all I ever did was read acting books and all I ever did was work on my acting and all I ever did was hang out with my actor friends, how am I going to translate the human experience of all these different characters and roles and people and emotions? You know, if you've never been heartbroken, how do you play heartbreak? If you've right. never, if you've never travelled and met, uh, you know, a, a, a villager that runs his own restaurant, could you play that convincingly? Maybe you could. Maybe you could. But I would, I would doubt your ability to really tap into that human emotion or experience if you're not experiencing life. And so that's why I think, as an actor, more more than many other professions, it's important because our job is to play real human beings. Yeah, I think that's so important because we need to be well-rounded people more than just a well-rounded actor. We, we have to have these full life experiences. And, and, and as you were saying, you like travel. I, I too like traveling. Like, for example, I've done cruise ship contracts, which aren't like the, the ultimate goal of my career, but they were a stepping stone to be able to travel, to experience different things, see new people, new places, that I probably would never go on my own because of either finances or just time. So sometimes the richness of an experience isn't just the financial or creative gain, but there's other things that can be gleaned from it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, just the experience of relationships, I think is so important. Now, as an actor yourself, you certainly have to promote your work, of course, as, as we all do, you know, finding auditions and network, you know, with those that, that can hire you for various TV or film productions. But, but then you also produce your own work and you have this online service, We Audition, that, that certainly takes up your time and energy. So uh, two questions with that. Number one, how is the promotion different for each facet of your work? And then number two, how do you maintain the balance between all of them? That's interesting. Um, so well, between acting and producing, honestly, I only produce when there's there's been a reason to do it. Uh, so I've either been brought on a project um, that I was in because they needed help in certain ways or um, 
it's been an inspiration of something that, you know, like a, I've had an idea for a film that I want to make, but I don't, I don't actively seek out producing jobs. Um, it comes from some kind of catalyst. Acting and business, how do I, you know, manage those two things and the, the difference in promotion? It's so interesting. Um, I love the way that specifically the American industry, but all of our industries as well, treats acting as a business, right? But I've always found that distinction interesting um, because in many ways it is, you know, you do have to promote yourself and you do have to do your own accounting and all these things, right? Like a business. But I've always thought the one thing that's different from a business is, is I can't, I can't just go out and act, right? I need to be hired. So it really, at the end of the day is a job, right? Unless I'm a mime artist on the street, I can't just get up and sell my acting, right? Whereas as a business person, you design a product or you have a service or a thing and you go out and you sell it. And what I found in business is, of course, there's things that work and things that don't, and there's ups and downs. But generally speaking, it's kind of formulaic. If you do certain things in a certain order, you will get certain results. They might fluctuate, but it's really tough to mess certain things up. Okay. And there's a set of rules and standards. Whereas auditioning is a little different. You go on 40 auditions and get none of them. And then you can go on three more and get all three of them. Right. And Mm -hmm. you will be absolutely confused at why that happened. You know, it's not that because you sat down there the day before and did eight hours of work on your acting. And I know I've booked auditions that I spent three days really mastering that audition. And I've also booked auditions that I got right the last minute and didn't really know what I was doing and rushed to them and still booked them. Right. So it just doesn't balance out in that way. Whereas for business, I know if I sit down at my laptop for eight hours and do certain things, I I can guarantee you that I will get more customers, will make more money, and will have ticked off some tasks or or added a feature to the website or done something. I know that by the end of that time, something tangible that will help my business or increase my custom or reduce my costs or one of those things, Mm. something tangible will have happened at the end of those eight hours, measurable, quantifiable. So then does it frustrate you as an actor that you don't get those same results? No, because that's the, (laughs) that's the balance that I like. So I've learned to manage that and, and I get that those results from my business life and I don't worry about them in my creative life. And I think that's the difference because I get my fix of that in my business world. I really don't mind in my, my, I I take it for what it is. I take it for this beautiful randomness. I don't sit around thinking, where's my next audition? And you had mentioned that in the UK, acting is seen somewhat differently. Explain that difference between UK actors and American actors, or at least the business side of it. I mean, it's it's getting different now, but certainly when I was growing up, acting is very much craft-based in the UK. Um, and not to say it isn't in America, of course, you guys study your craft, but I I would find that it was so about the craft and nothing about the business. Um, so to give you an example, you know, if you went to drama school, there would be no classes on the business of acting. People would leave drama school, very, very good actors and have no idea about the mechanics of getting an agent about contracts, about they wouldn't know anything of that stuff in England. Mm. It's starting to improve now. It, it's probably probably much improved. But I, I know I was running um, events for actors and performers back in the year 98, 99, 2000. And I was meeting all these actors fresh out of drama school. They were like, well, how do we get an agent? And I said, well, um, you know, you get a book called Contacts from Spotlight. And they said, what's Spotlight? And I said, it's the main casting platform that all the cast directors use to cast you. How have you done three years in drama school and they haven't taught you this? They've taught you to be good actors, but they haven't taught you actually how to work and get a job. And it always amazed me that this this component, you just left out there with these great skills of of craft, but none of the, the business that's needed. Yeah, it's so interesting to try to balance because we had we had talked before about about that busy work leading to more busy work and not really producing any results. And it's so easy to get focused on the headshot, your website, mm. you know, sending this emails, getting that you know, the networking, your social media, making sure your brand. You know, there's all these kind of things that can have nothing to do with getting on stage or on right. or on screen, but you can really focus on them too much. 
And so you're right. It's a, it's a matter of finding that balance, that that creativity as well as the business side. Well, and the truth is as well, it's you know, acting profession is subjective, no matter how how we want to look at it. So, are there good headshots and bad headshots? Yes, right. I strongly recommend you have a good headshot. Um, and what then, is good? There, that can be very there, subjective. Right, <laughs> right. Are there varying degrees of headshots? Now, I'll give you a, a different example. I have a friend that's on TV 24-7. He's, he's shot four different series this year. He still uses the same headshot that he had like 10 years ago that was his friend that took it against the blank wall. And he still yeah. looks like it. So it's not like a, it's not a bad headshot. But what I'm saying, it, it wasn't a $2,000 shot. It wasn't all these different characters is him in a simple t-shirt stood against the wall right because now his work speaks for it but this looks like him and that's what they get when they get in the room and stuff like that so it is subjective and so there's all these different um variables and some of the matter like i said getting a good headshot matters over getting a bad headshot having an up-to-date headshot that looks like you matters but the micro nuances between them you know we sit there and deliberate about whether our headshot looks better because we're like this or like this and these micro nuances <laughs> and it's just, and maybe there's something more important to worry about. The detail could be a really big thing. And then there's lots of details that wouldn't matter at all. Right, right. And, and so it's a matter of, of figuring out, you know, where to really put our time and energy, because sometimes we can yeah. get lost in that minutia. And then and then we're, we're kind of quibbling over something that in the end, isn't going to matter that slight difference. Right. That's the danger is, is yeah. you get lost in the minutia and, and you're not actually doing what you need to be doing, you know, and going back to our other point was like, that's where I feel like somebody that spends all this time deliberating over their headshots and has no life experience, they might walk into that or they might, their headshot might get them an audition and then they flank, flunk that audition because they couldn't bring that, that realness to it. I have a great story actually to illustrate this, um, this, this, you know, too much busy work. A few years ago um, in Hollywood, I had a friend come to visit for a week or so. And, um, you know, I met up with her for coffee and I said, why are you here? She said, oh, I'm going to, you know, look, looking to get an agent here. I'm applying for my visa and doing all these things. Right. And she had all this like plan, which is very, very conscientious of her. She had a nice little plan and a little spreadsheet and everything. And then she'd been in town for about a week. And I said to her, um, I called her on like Saturday and said, hey, what are you doing tonight? I'm going out for dinner. Would you, would you like to come for dinner with a, with a group of people? And she was like, um, no, actually, I'm going to stay in and do work on my acting. And I said, oh, what acting are you going to do on Saturday night? And she's like, you know, I've got my plan. I'm doing my thing and I'm, I'm writing to cast and directors and I'm doing all the stuff. And I said, OK, that's, that's cool. Right now, each their own. Each their yeah. own. That is, that is absolutely fine that she wanted to do that. But then she went further to chastise me saying well maybe th this was the next day she said well maybe if um you'd stay in and do your work rather than going out having fun maybe your career would be in a different place wow so i was i'm always one to learn from somebody even if they've done less stuff than me i think okay you, you've done a different uh different training or whatever let me let me see so i said what actually did you do last night i, I know you said you're working and you're acting can you tell me actually what you did in that time period though right and let me let me see if i can replicate this and she said well i i select i was researching people and i selected the the top 10 directors and top 10 casting directors that i want to work with and i was researching them and i was writing letters to them and i said okay oh uh, who are they tell me tell me your list and i was thinking that honestly because in case i can help you out with that at all right because yeah. I like to help people. And I started laughing when she started reading her list. And she said, what are you laughing at? I said, so you want to, you've been writing to these people. You want to form relationships with these people? She goes, yeah. I said, so one of those directors and one of those casting directors was at dinner last night. Hmm. There's a table of eight of us. So a quarter of the people were the people you wanted to meet. Wow. And she said to me, why didn't you tell me? How dare you? And I Darren? said, I said, I did. Oh but my gosh. I, I, I didn't realize I had to sell you who was going to be there. Right. Oh, that's, so and that's, that's a great example of she went and did the busy work, but her, her eyes were blinded to what was actually going on. Right. You know, 
And now, of course, that's a that's a random story. That might not have been the case. There might have been no one around the dinner table, but it's just an interesting way to like not not always assume you know everything and not always assume that the way you're doing things is the right way. And even to your point, even if those casting directors weren't there at that dinner, still there needs to be that balance between great, you, mm-hmm. you email your your agents and casting directors and network that always has its place. But then you all also have to be a person. You also have to have relationships, as, as we've talked yeah. about. So it, yeah, so it's still and you shouldn't chastise your friends for for inviting well, you out. <laughs> well, then there's that too. I mean. <laughs> This business is so subjective. I mean, I've I've known people, you know, a third my age who are who have done many more things than I have, and I know people twice my age who haven't done half the things I've done. So I mean, we're we're all yeah. on a different path. Of exactly, of- exactly, yeah. Well, and I think the the message to get out of that is just that there's opportunity everywhere, and you you just got to be open to different ways of doing things because the minute you you think it goes back to this idea of acting is not formulaic the minute you think you've got the formula i mean there is no formula this is why it always makes me laugh when i see these like internet you know courses and stuff that says i'm going to teach you the five secrets to booking a co-star right good luck there are no five secrets right (laughs) those five secrets work for that particular writer but may never work again Right. Right. Or more, more often than not, they didn't work for that person, which is why they've put their five secrets into it. <laughs> An easy, easy $2,000 guide. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Now, we touched on this briefly, but I would imagine one of your biggest transition in your personal and professional life was that move from England to California. What, what exactly yeah. prompted that move and what adjustments did you have to make coming to America? What prompted the move was boredom, literal boredom. I was in London, which is a fantastic city. It's hard to get bored in London, but I just felt like I, I was in a rut. And my life was pretty varied. And it was pretty interesting and I was doing well, but I just, I just felt like, not just in the acting world, in my, in my personal life, in my other professions, I just felt like I knew what was around every corner. Nothing was exciting me. Nothing was surprising me anymore. Hmm. And I just, I just felt this, uh, this drudgery. The actual prompt to go to America was uh, I'd uh, gone to um, one of these like seminars and it was uh, advertised in the newspaper. It was USA casting director comes to the UK to teach you all about the business. And it was a British casting director that moved to LA some years before and was the casting director at MGM. And she, she just, she had this kind of class and seminar. We did some scenes and she just had such wonderful energy. She's still a friend of mine today now, actually. And she had such great energy and just um, outlook on the business that it was, even though it was uh, specific and uh, sometimes harsh, whatever, it was still optimistic and exciting. That was very different to how, how we'd sort of perceived it in London. I took two friends along and we were debriefing ourselves in a, a dingy pub on the South Bank, it was raining outside. There was one old guy in the corner just nursing his pint really slowly. And the whole scene was depressing. We just come out of this high energy, optimistic workshop. And we were like, let's move to America. And one of my friends was like, yeah, I don't know how to do it though. How do we do it? We have to get a visa. And I said, well, I, I clipped this uh, newspaper clipping recently of this lawyer that claims he can get you a visa. And it's like $3,000. I said, I, don't, I haven't looked into him, but here's the number. You're welcome to it. And she just made a bunch of money on a commercial. You know, she shot for one day and made like 30 grand. Oh, so wow. I said, look, if I was you, I'd, I was feeling how we are now. I would gamble 10% of that money I just made on this lawyer. Well, she did and it worked. Within a few months, she was there. I went out to visit her, saw her lovely Hollywood apartment, sat in the jacuzzi talking about how she just booked a role on ER. And I was like, this is insane. I have to come here. It took me a year and a half. I mean, you have to get a lot of paperwork together and you have to, it's not like it's an overnight thing, but that night was the catalyst we we decided. And was it like starting over again though? I mean, because obviously- 100%, yeah, 150%. I had no friends there. I had one friend, this person. um, And no no one cares about, I mean- are being real and it's, di- it's different now because the, the business is more global but back then unless you were in james bond no one cared right 
we'd both me, my friend, and our other friend, we'd all been in Britain's biggest TV show. And my agent actually thought that was a short film. Like when they saw it on my reel. <laughs> so, so it just, unless it was something America recognizable, like a James Bond, no one cared. Now you have lots of lots of British shows that they know, but right, and there's all these little shows that either Hulu has or Netflix or exactly. whoever, and so yeah, you you can be on the smallest yeah. show but have a great following or you know critical. Yeah, it's just, it's just critical following. It's just different now, but back then it was purely network television, and you, we had four channels. That was it. So there's only a certain things that would cross over to the US. Um, but yeah, so it's like starting again, and it was literally starting again, getting in, you know adjusting to language differences to to you know accents to did you, you have know, a good american accent before you came hell no <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had no reason to do it um, right so yeah so that was that's always been a journey and you know i still work on that every day now you know and i i use we audition to do that i go on there and i i find americans and i work with them um because even though i've lived in america now for 15 years I, as you can hear, I haven't properly lost my accent at all. The hardest thing I find with doing an American accent is doing it with your own voice and sensibility because, yeah, we do, we, we, we put on these American, especially when we're learning, the American sounds a certain way to us that we put on this affected voice with it right. and it's not our voice. And then what I found is I start to lose my, um, my emotions and my, you know, speech nuances that is what makes something interesting when I'm speaking in America. And you don't have those like ebbs and flows that you would in your native tongue. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing whenever I do an RP British accent. I, I can get lost in the making sure the vowels are right or this or that. And then I lose, as you said, I lose Patrick's voice in that and mm. how I would say something or how I would phrase something or emphasize this word or that word. So, yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. You lose it's, your essence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It becomes technical rather than than emotional. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's, that's a great way to put it. So, when, for example, when you're auditioning, w whether it's with an accent or not, w what is your personal approach to auditioning? Like, like how do you prepare your scenes, and and does it differ from one audition to another? Generally speaking, I, I guess it does differ. Um, currently, the way that I work. Um, when I get, so I just got a script in yesterday, actually, and this is exactly what I did for this. When I get a script in, um, the first thing I do is just read the script straight away. So that's, then, then I'll go back and look at the breakdown and I'll research everyone involved. So I understand the tone of the script, you know, I'll research the writer. And if I haven't, if I haven't seen their work before, I'll watch a couple of trailers or I'll do some more research. I'll research the director's. I'll look up the cast and directors and see where I might have interacted with them before. So just do research on the team, you know, then I'll Google the project. I want to find out as much if, if there is anything about the project. I want to find out as much about the project as I have, because there's sometimes there's clues in, in, you know, who's already cast in it or what the, what, you know, what genre is it? What, what length is it? Is it TV? Is it a mini series? Is it all these things? Right. Um, and then I'll go back and look at the scripts and really, um, look at who the character is and the breakdown of my character. I'll read the breakdown of the other characters um, that I interact with. So I see what, you know, or, or if it's someone that's already been cast, I'll look up that actor and see, you know, so I can get a nice visual image of, hmm. of who it's going to be opposite. Then I will um, go through the script and I will pick out any words that either the writer uses to describe my character or other characters used to describe my character. So sometimes, you know, we get the sides and it's FYI or it's it's um, scrubbed out because they don't want us to start there. But I'll read through all that because there might be right. a clue. You know, if there's two, the, the scene before doesn't feature my character, but if they're talking about my character, then it might give me a clue about who I am. And then once I've sort of done that, I, I usually, if I've got a few days on the script, that's about the work I will do. And I'll just let it sit with me. And then I'll go out for dinner and I'll go out or I'll, you know, read a book or watch a movie or whatever, not to do, I'm not, I'm not going to cram at this point. I just want it to sit with me for a little bit. I'll go to bed. I'll wake up the next day. Um, in terms of memorization, the first, I, I find some scripts are so easy to memorize and some are so hard, right? Yeah, it, it, it all depends like, on that, that writing and how the it's words the, the are, writing. Yeah. It's the writing. If it's mm -hmm. good writing, it goes in so easy. You go, how am I doing this so easily? It's because the writing makes sense, 
right? Um, but I think it was, it was either Willem Dafoe or William H. Macy. I can't remember who, but one of these people said that one of the first things they do is just read each line 10 times out loud. And they don't try and learn it. They don't try and put any emotion onto it. They just, and I found that really works well for me. So I do that. So I'll just walk up and down in my apartment and I will just read each chunk out 10 times out loud, uh, commit it to the voice. Um, and then, you know, once I've done that, that I usually find that most of it's gone in, not all of it, but most of it's gone in. Then I will go through and, you know, do my sort of script breakdown and sort of really try and understand what, the point of each of these phrases, sentences, or moments are like, what, what am I feeling in each point? What do I want to get? Those kind of things. Then I would do a little exercise um, just to help myself set the scene. Like, where am I? Who am I with? What do I want? Why is it happening? What time period is, is it? I just really think about all those moments, you know, because it, often we're doing a self-tape and our own kitchen is opposite us. Well, is that, is that a kitchen? And is it, if it is a kitchen, does it look like mine or am I in a wild west saloon? Right. So I've got to visualize all these things because I want to really understand if someone comes through the door in my scene, I want to know where the door is. Right. I don't want to be making these things up right at the last minute. So I, I immerse myself in, in my imaginary world. Then what I'll do is I'll go and we audition. I'll find an actor that can help me with what I need. And that will be something very specific. For those of you who don't know about We Audition, there's a bunch of readers on there that are available instantly to help you. And um, they have their, their bios and their profiles up. So you can pick somebody that's been in the show that you're auditioning for, for instance, or you can pick someone with the correct accent for you. So I will try and cast my reader in a way that makes the most sense to me to to do my job most authentically, right? So I will, you know, because I have all these readers available, if I'm reading opposite somebody that's a, a Wild West gunslinger, why not pick the guy that looks like a Wild West gunslinger? <laughs> it's going to help me jip into character. Now, is that essential to book the job? No. But if you have the choice, why not? Anything that helps me get into the character more is, is of course, is perfect. The same to be said, if I'm doing a procedural, unless I'm auditioning for NCIS, why not work with someone that's already been in the show? That mm. makes sense. They, they, might, they might be able to offer me some kind of nugget, like, you know what, the pacing needs to be quicker, you're going too slow, or whatever, you know? Things that are technical that I might not realize. Um, and then I'll just run lines with them. So that'll be a line running exercise, just to get the words committed and just, you know, memorize and, and feel it out. Uh, then after that session, I'll go away, and I'll do some more private work on that, whatever that means. It might mean me picking out my, my wardrobe for it. It might mean me just sometimes I'll just go out outside and I'll go to a restaurant or a cafe and I'll watch people and I'll, I'll look at nuances that I might want to put into my character. It's different every time. Um, and then I'll come back to We Audition to film my scene. So I'll use a reader. I'll pick a specific reader. Uh, I'll set up my equipment and I'll film myself. Take. That's, that's the process. Yeah, I mean, that is one thing that in just using We Audition myself, that I always like working with fellow musical theater people, even if they haven't done a particular show, it's just because we can kind of speak the same language. So yeah, it just kind of depends on the on, on what, you, what you need and are looking for in that particular scene. Exactly, yeah. Like I said, anything that helps me immerse myself in the world of that character is, is a bonus. Now, it sounds like, I mean because you went through a rather lengthy process and all that was for one audition. I assume that the, obviously some auditions you have to truncate that process and you're not able to do, you know, all of those 15 steps or so that you listed. No, I do do them for all auditions. Look at that. See, then, then yeah. maybe I'm the lazy one. See, maybe if I was doing that, I would be further in my career. Right, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's different for every, everybody, but, um, right. I mean, if it's a theatrical audition, yeah. If it's a commercial audition, probably not. I just, I just kind of look at the script and think, what do they want, and what you know. And obviously, commercial auditions, really, you, you're not the hero. The product's the hero. So right. it's like, you just got to think about how can I make this product look good. It's interesting. About half the things that you mentioned were more that kind of businessy side of it more more the you know like looking up the the directors or the the writers or uh yeah kind of like the business technical side of it before you actually even get into the work of the acting do you find that well 
No, I was going to say, I mean, you say, you say it's the business side of it, but I, I don't think it is. I think, I think you're working with other artists, so their artistry is important. Mm-hmm. And so if you understand, I mean, let me give you a different example. If you, were, if you were building a house, right, wouldn't you want to know who the architect was before you started laying the bricks? You'd want to look at their blueprints and their previous work. And what they've done before, you, right. Yeah, right. You, because if you're, if you're being free to create which is what you are as an actor they're saying hey bring your piece of this puzzle to the table and you are doing your work um with a certain autonomy based upon your creative past then that needs to fit in with my house if i'm the director (laughs) or i'm the writer i'm saying hey look patrick do what you do but do it within the confines of my my house right Right, Otherwise, right. go off and do it yourself. So I, I absolutely think the team behind that, cast and directors select certain projects because they like a certain tone. Directors work on certain things in a certain fashion. You know, and I mean, look, this is a, a really obvious example, but you will know, the, the film I'm working on right now is highly improvised, right? Now, if when I watched my director's previous films, you can also tell that. If you listen to some of his um, interviews at Sundance Labs, he will talk about that. He will talk about finding those magical moments. So if I am doing an audition for this guy and I want to paraphrase something to make it sound more genuine coming from my mouth, I know I have the freedom to do that. I can be confident in my freedom to craft this character with these with these little moments, right? If I'm doing an Aaron Sorkin script for David Fincher, no, I'm going to be a word perfect. Right. Right. Now take those two examples and take the names out of it. You can see how it could be very easy to mess something up. You just go, oh yeah, I'm going to play. I'm going to do this, this, and this. I don't need to stick to the script. Well, maybe you do because that's how those people work. Yeah. So you've got to, you've got to know your industry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is a good and, way to. I, I also like your your housing analogy because, like, if you're going to move into the neighborhood, i.e., this TV show or film, if you're going to move into that neighborhood, you need to know what the builder builds. You need to know the houses around you, what they look like. Yeah, you need to know how you can fit into that neighborhood and still be your own person. Right, 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 and still be yeah. your own your your own it, home. It's a team sport. You've got to respect the team. It's a great way to look at it. Yeah. See, see, I'm, I'm learning something. I I do a lot of, I mean, I do mostly theater. So without even having to do that, I know the names already generally. So I I don't have to do that research. And I assume that, I assume that happens eventually that you start knowing names and you don't have to research specifically. each. Exactly. Exactly. But this is probably where you're different. You probably do that research anyway. You probably read the trades in the morning. You're probably aware of who's who's what and doing what. Um, and again, that comes with years of experience as well. There's a lot of things that you'll know just from actual years of, of doing it. Yeah. Just from staying connected and, and knowing yeah. what's happening in the industry. True. Exactly. True. Exactly. Well, certainly one of the things that hap- that's happened in the industry, you know, self tapes have become a, a big part. I mean, the casting directors have been using them for years. However, the pandemic kind of kicked the whole thing into overdrive. And so yeah. now it's, it's almost exclusively what those initial auditions for on-camera work, as well as theater. That's what they're, they're going toward. How do you think self tapes both help and hurt the audition process? I think they help in many, many, many ways. And I actually think they hurt less than people think. I'm interested um, to hear. Go ahead. So, so I've always liked self-tapes, right? And the reason I like self-tapes is a few reasons. Um, I'm a busy person, right? I like to keep busy. Even if I'm not busy with work stuff, I, I just like to be active and busy, whether it's you know hobbies or socializing or whatever. So if I can fit an audition into my schedule where I want to do it, great. That's perfect. I love that. Why put an appointment in my day that is not necessary? Secondly, you know, self-tapes allow me to do it within my own home or a friend's house or whatever. I don't have to spend all that time traveling and that kind of thing. Again, that's busy work. People that love to do that, right, is because they need something to occupy their day. So they go, oh, great, I've got this audition. I want to drive halfway across town. In LA, that could easily be an hour and a half drive. Mm -hmm. Well, 
again, I don't like anything that feels a little selfish. And you know what? Driving an hour and a half across town feels so selfish. We're, we're using gas. We're polluting the environment. We're, we're clogging up the roads for this five, 10 minutes that we could have done at home. Um, and then now you bring the pandemic into it. It, it seems ludicrous. We used to sit there in a tiny room full of other people that are going for the same job as us. All of the psychological and stuff. And then there's, you know, some people chatting and some people not, and some people want to, you know, bother you with questions and some people don't. And there's all this dynamic. There's probably all this sickness, even if it's like common cold, if it's nothing serious, you know, why are we, why are we subjecting ourselves to that? Right. And really that environment doesn't do anything for our work because a lot of people will say, well, I like to be in the room, but your audition is usually taped in that room and sent to someone else anyway. So all you're doing it by being in the room is being with the casting director. Yeah. I will say that that's one of the biggest differences between on camera and theater audition. The theater audition is, yes, yeah, sometimes you'll have just the casting director there, but if it's a regional theater, usually a producer, yeah. director, someone from the theater is there involved with the casting. So with, with theater auditions, it, it can mean a little bit more to be in the presence, in the room, really connecting with the people. Well, here's what I will say about theater. It's different because, okay. yeah, if you're talking about theater, well, absolutely, because theater is a live medium, right? Your whole job is to do it in front of some people facing this way, <laughs> right? So live suits it. Okay, think about you know, your, your final performance is not filmed. So being able to do it on demand live is important. Self-taping for film and TV is more like the real process. That is you true. Know, that is true. So even as a director, and I've directed a couple of things, seeing someone on camera versus seeing them in person, it's like it feels better to see them on camera because that's how you're finally going to see them. That's how the audience is going to see them. So just because they look good in the room or they do something in the room doesn't always translate. And I remember seeing actors' reels that I loved and then seeing them in person and thinking, oh, this is weird. And in fact, one of the guys that I end up casting, I didn't like his audition in person. And the casting director was like, no, this guy's great. And I said, send, him, send me all of his stuff, all of his work. And I was like, he's perfect. He's the guy. Hmm. But in the, in the audition room, I just didn't get it. So it can, it can be the opposite. And if, I, if he had had no tape, I guarantee I wouldn't have cast him. Yeah, it's it's so very interesting because I've I've met those people and sometimes I feel like I'm one of those people that that either the audition is generally where they shine and maybe the performance lacks it or it's the the other way around. And so mm -hmm. I think it's it I think it highlights the differences between those two processes, the differences between those two performances even. And what have you found a way to meld those two so that the way that you audition, the way that you present a character is the same as when it's going to be for the real deal. The way I, I present the character. So it's as close to the real deal is I just try and do the job as if I've got the job. Right. So for myself tapes, I, if you told me I was going to set next day, that's the same way I prepare. So I treat that taping experience in the same way. I don't try and do it a hundred times. Uh, some of my readers on We Audition might disagree with you, but <laughs> <laughs> I try not to do it a hundred times. I try and do my do my work ready so that I'm ready for that four or five takes that you're going to get on set, right? Sometimes you only get two. Yeah. If you're good, you might only get one, right? It depends. Um, and so I think as actors, it's important for us to do that, to have that restriction on ourselves as well, right? Just because it's a self-tape, don't do it a hundred times, right? Because if you're taking a hundred times to... Either you're going over those nuances too much, like we said, with the headshots, and then you're just taking way too long on it. Or if you literally think that your 99 other tapes aren't good enough, and I'm going to be blunt here, then you're not good enough to do the job because yeah. you're not going to get 99 chances to do it right on the day. And I've worked with people that are like that and they've been fired because they just they, they did a great self-tape, but who knows how long they took to do it. Mm. And that's the challenge for casting directors. And that's why video chat auditions are great because at some point, yeah, if you can't be in the room, that's one thing, but you should be live because on set, you're going to be asked to go. And if you can't go. Right. And you need to make those adjustments on the spot that the director needs for this. Right. Or that. Yeah. Right. You need to be, and you need to just be, you know, look, look, we all fluff. I've had, 
I've had times where I've I did a scene ten times on on set uh, from three different angles, and on the eleventh time, I completely forgot my lines. I was like, "How have I forgot my lines? I just did this ten times. No one cared. We just picked it up and did again, right? Yeah. Because that's okay in that sense. But what's not okay is you showing up to set and not being able to deliver, right? The basics. So there's there's that kind of adjustment for the self tapes. Is I feel like you've got to go into it as if you're doing the job. Now, there have been so many useful nuggets throughout this conversation, and I'll actually be highlighting those and expounding upon them on social media. So follow at Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. That being said, though, our conversation isn't done. Don't miss part two with Darren, which is actually a video episode on YouTube, where Darren and I talk about three memorable auditions that he's had in his career. From the first time he booked a role on camera to the very first self-tape he ever made while in Hong Kong. You'll certainly learn even more about his audition process and his own opinions on how to view rejection in this business. You'll find a YouTube link to those three audition stories in the show notes. You'll also find one for weaudition.com and a special promo code just for listening to this podcast. Just enter WINMI25, that's W-I-M-N-I-2-5, to get 25% off a membership. Now, I've been using We Audition since the beginning of this year and have found it to be so useful and helpful, especially for those last-minute auditions. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. And all music in this episode is created by yours truly on GarageBand. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next month with some Broadway and television stars as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. 